Thanks, B. Very much for reading. Thank you, John, for leading us uh, this morning. Be great if you keep your Bibles open. We will be jumping around a little bit more this morning uh, than usual as we unpack this great theme of redemption. But let me pray for us as we come to God's Word. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us. Thank you that it is able to make us wise for salvation and to equip us for every good work. And so, Father, we pray now that as we listen to your word and as we submit to it, Lord, that we might see you work by power, by your spirit, through your word to save people and to strengthen people to live for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we come to Uh, part two of our four-part series in the lead up to Easter which we've called the glory of the cross and what we're trying to do over these few weeks is actually uh, quite simple we just want to slow down we want to slow down and think more carefully about what Jesus did at the cross and we're going to do that by looking through the lens of four big bible words that you can see up there on the screen atonement redemption, justification, and reconciliation. Four beautiful images that the Bible gives us to help us see and savor the glory of God in the saving work of Jesus Christ at the cross. And last week, if you remember, we thought about atonement and the need for sacrifice. Our problem is our sin. We have dirty hearts. It's not flicking on time. We have dirty hearts and therefore we cannot just wander into the presence of a holy God and be okay. Do you remember the curtain that we looked at last week separating the the holy place from the most holy place? Hanging there 365 days a year like a big no entry sign. Because of your sin, you can't come in. We need our sin atoned for. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to make us clean, to take away our sin so that we can come in freely into the presence of God. Last week, we thought about atonement. This week, we turn our attention to another great biblical theme, that of redemption. And what I'd love to do as we begin this morning is actually to begin with a definition. And hopefully, as we work our way through some of these key Uh, Bible passages, you can see how we end up with this definition here on the screen. So here we go. Redemption is a powerful deliverance from a desperate situation at a great cost. Let me say that again. Redemption is a powerful deliverance from a desperate situation at a great cost. Now, I don't know how many Uh, talks or sermons or preaches you've heard before on the theme of redemption but the temptation I think is to jump straight to the New Testament and the redeeming work of Jesus and of course that's where we're going to end up this morning at the cross it's where all four of these lovely Bible images find their complete fulfillment in the saving work of Jesus at the cross yet to understand the redeeming work of Jesus more fully We need to know what comes before. We need to go back to the Old Testament to begin with this this great picture of redemption that we find in the book of Exodus where God delivers or God redeems his people 
from slavery in Egypt. So turn with me, if you would, again to that reading. Exodus chapter 6, I want to read from verse 5. This is, this is the Lord God speaking to Moses. And this is what he says, Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slave to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. You see the three verbs there in verse 6 that describe the activity of God. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. What a lovely picture that is. As the Lord God extends His saving arm, as He reaches down from heaven into the pit and the despair and the hopelessness of our lives, and He redeems. He redeems with His outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. You see, the redeemed person is the rescued person. One who's been brought out. One who's been set free. And one who's been delivered from a desperate situation. Now for those of you who know the story of the Exodus well, you'll be ever so familiar with how the book begins. And there's a painting here on the screen that, that tries to convey something of what it would have been like for God's people. Living under the oppressive rule of Pharaoh. As you keep looking at that picture on the screen, let me read to you from Exodus chapter 1 that describes something of that situation. This is what we read from verse 11. So they, that's the Egyptian rulers, put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. I don't know whether anyone has read the book or seen the film 12 Years a Slave. It's a pretty disturbing story about one man's fight for freedom in Louisiana in the mid-19th century, 12 years treated shamefully, wrongfully enslaved, brutally beaten, emotionally broken to the point that he was almost dead. But in the end, he gained his freedom. 12 years a slave. Well, back in Egypt, God's people weren't in slavery for 12 years. They're in slavery for 400 years, and so they understood better than most what physical slavery was like. And that's why the description back in verse 6 of chapter 6 is so powerful. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. The yoke, as many of you know, is that heavy wooden or or iron bar that rested on the, the shoulders of an oxen. 
as it pulled that plow through the, the dry and hard and dusty land. What a heavy burden that must have been. Well, the yoke here in Exodus 6, verse 6, is used to describe the oppressive weight of Egyptian rule, which is crushing down on the people of God. It is pressing them into the ground. But here's the thing. God's going to bring them out. He's going to redeem them from this desperate situation. Hence the threefold declaration in verse 6. I will bring you out. I will free you from being slaves. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will, I will, and I will. And of course, as the story continues, we see God's powerful deliverance in action in the chapters that follow. Ten terrible plagues. Ten mighty acts of judgment that God brought down on Egypt, climaxing with the death of every firstborn son. And the only way to escape God's judgment was to slaughter a one-year-old lamb without blemish and paint its blood on the doorframe of their house. So that when the avenging angel, the agent of God's judgment, swept through the land of Egypt that night, he was looking out. He was looking out for blood and he would pass over those homes which were marked with blood. Why? Because the death of a substitute lamb had already occurred. And so we read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 29 to 31, the conclusion of this great night. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up. Leave my people, you and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. And so it was. Just as God promised. On that very night, God delivered His people en masse from Egypt. One million plus redeemed by God's mighty acts of judgment and by the blood of a lamb. It's a picture, of course, that points us forward to the Lord Jesus who died as our Passover lamb in our place so that God's judgment will pass over us. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming to him, what did he say? Here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, when we think back to that desperate situation of God's people, in Egypt, we need to remember that they were redeemed from two things. Slavery, physical slavery in Egypt, and the judgment of God. And as we come to the New Testament, we'll see exactly the same pattern. Those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are redeemed from two things. Slavery to sin 
and the judgment of God. So flick forward, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1, which is our, our second reading that B gave to us, chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, where we read this. For He, that's God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, the definition still stands. A powerful deliverance from a desperate situation at a great cost. Of course, our plight is somewhat different, is it not, to those who lived under Pharaoh's oppressive rule in Egypt? We don't need to be delivered from physical slavery. That's not our issue. We need to be delivered from spiritual slavery. Or as it says in Colossians chapter 1, the dominion of darkness, which represents the destructive rule of Satan and of sin. But do you see that little phrase in the middle of verse 13? He has brought us into. In the Greek, that phrase speaks of a, a mass migration, a mass movement of people from one place to another. It's Exodus language. The Apostle Paul is using Exodus language and applying it to our spiritual redemption. Just as God brought His people out of slavery, physical slavery in Egypt, so it is today. God is redeeming His people en masse from the dominion of darkness. And He is delivering them, us, into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves. You see, as Christians, we belong to a whole new established order. We belong to Him. We're no longer under the dominion of darkness. We're under the dominion of Christ. And what a beautiful dominion that is. Not a crushing weight of a dominion, oppressing and pushing down, but a beautiful dominion. A dominion of love. A dominion of life. A dominion of goodness. We are under the dominion of our loving Lord Jesus Christ, which is a wonderful thing to be under His dominion in the kingdom of the Son whom He loves. Now, I've told you this story before, but I'm going to tell you again in, in brief because I think it makes the point so well. But when I was at primary school, there was a, a little shop near us called the Swap Shop where you could take old things or swap or exchange toys. And to my devastation, my mum uh, gave to the swap shop my Millennium Falcon, which was one of my prized toys, a Star Wars toy. Because she gave it away, what did I have to do? The very next day, I went to the swap shop and I had to buy it back. So in many ways, I owned it twice, right? It was already mine, I owned it. It's my Millennium Falcon. It was given away and then I had to buy it back so it belonged to me again. So it is with God and redemption. We belong to God twice. We belong to Him by right of creation. He made us. And we belong to Him again by right of redemption because He saved us. You see, in one sense, all people belong to God because God made all people. But then we sold ourselves to the swap shop of this world. We gave ourselves over to the dominion of darkness, but God in His kindness brought us back. And so now we belong to Him. 
We belong to him by right of creation and we belong to him by right of redemption. We are doubly his. And so the question we're left asking, I think, is this. What did it cost? What did it cost God to buy us back? We'll have a look at the words on the screen there. The Apostle Peter says, this is what it cost God. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Just as God redeemed his people from Egypt with mighty acts of judgment and with the blood of a lamb, so it is in the New Testament. God has redeemed us from an empty way of life a meaningless life, a purposeless life, a life that is heading nowhere but darkness. And He has redeemed us. With His outstretched arm, He has reached into my pit and pulled me out. Redeemed how? With the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Which is why, of course, Jesus came into this world. It's what Jesus Himself says, isn't it? Mark chapter 4, verse 25. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. You see, the concept of ransom is one that the New Testament world would have been all too familiar with. People being bought and sold like commodities in the Roman slave markets. And the ransom price was what it cost to buy somebody back out of slavery and give them their freedom. Let me say that again. The ransom price was what it cost to buy somebody back out of slavery and to give them their freedom. You see the point the Bible is making? What did it cost God to ransom us, to purchase our freedom? Not silver, not gold. In fact, there was no financial transaction at all. It was a transaction of life. His life for mine. It cost God His only Son. Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. I don't know whether you've seen um, the film Saving Private Ryan or not. Um, it's a film about a, a soldier, Private Ryan, who gets caught behind enemy lines. And the American um, army choose to, to send in this, this, this highly skilled team to bring Private Ryan out to save him. And as you watch this film unfold, you'll see that in many ways it seems successful. Private Ryan is saved. But at the end of the film, you're sort of left asking the question because it came at great cost. Lots of people lost their life in order to save Private Ryan. So come the end of the film, you're sort of asking yourself the question, was it worth it? Was it worth it to save Private Ryan? Well, when it comes to our rescue and our redemption, 
God certainly thought it was worth it. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. Why should I gain from His reward? Cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart His wounds have paid my ransom. Redemption is a powerful deliverance from a desperate situation at a great cost. And hopefully now you can see how we've arrived at that definition. We haven't just plucked it out of the air or copied it out of some dictionary somewhere. It is a definition, I hope, that is grounded in the Word of God. That's what biblical redemption is. But before we bring things to a close, what I'd love to do for the last couple of moments is try and apply the reality of redemption to our lives. You see, it's one thing to understand it, right? It's one thing to go home this afternoon and say, I know what redemption is. Powerful deliverance from a desperate situation at a great cost. That's lovely. To understand biblical redemption is a beautiful thing. But it's not just understanding, right? It's the application of redemption to our lives. What does it look like for us to live as redeemed people in God's world? And there's two things I'd love to say by way of application. The first one is this, our freedom now. Jesus purchased us at great cost to buy our freedom. But that is not a freedom to do what we want. It is not a freedom to sin. It is a freedom to live the way of the cross. Look at what we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through to 20. This is the response to redemption. Flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples for the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, the context here, of course, is sexual sin, but this can be applied. The principle can be applied to all areas of life and sin. And what are we called to do as redeemed people in the face of sin? Flee. Run from it. And two reasons you can see in the text there are given. Number one, our bodies are temples for the Holy Spirit. God hasn't only redeemed us, but has redeemed people. He's come to live within us, in our hearts. The Spirit of the living God lives within this feeble frame. So Wellesley, now honor God with His strength, with your body. And number two, you're not your own. Can you see that in the text? You are not your own anymore. You were bought at a price. And that price was the precious blood of Jesus. You now belong to Him. You're His, doubly owned. So honor God with your bodies. You see, friends, when we trust in the Lord Jesus, when we know that great redemptive work in our own lives, we need to understand that our lives are no longer our own to live. They're His. And they're to be lived for Him. 
and His glory. And what does He want from me? What does He want from you? What does He want from us? He wants holiness. He wants righteousness. He wants us to live for His worth and His glory and not our own. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15, And He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus died for you. Why? That you would no longer live for yourself. That we would no longer pursue our sinful, self-centered ways. He died to liberate us from the bondage of sin that we might live for Him. For He who died for me and rose again. Jesus did not die just to bring forgiveness. He did, and that's wonderful. But He died to set me free from my old way of life. From the dominion of darkness that I might live as a child of heaven who belongs to the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus died. And that's why redemption is so wonderfully precious. Jesus died and the freedom he brings isn't a freedom to do what we want. He's freed us up to live the lives that he created us to live. Firstly, freedom now. And secondly, freedom then, because there is also a redemption to come. Romans chapter 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. You see, there is a physical redemption to come. Yes, we've been spiritually redeemed, delivered from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves. Yet we still live in a broken world. We still live in a fallen world. We still live in a dark world. And that will continue until the day we die or the day the Lord Jesus comes back. And when He does, on that day Jesus returns, Romans chapter 8, God will redeem the entire cosmos from its bondage to sin and decay. The effects of sin will be no more. No more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And on that day, we too will enjoy the redemption of our bodies when our weak and weary frames are replaced with new, indestructible, resurrection bodies. When with a ransomed in glory, His face I at last shall see, it will be my joy through the ages to sing of His love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Is 
Jesus worthy? Is he worthy? He is. He is. We're going to watch a video now as we respond in our hearts, as we think about the worthiness of the Lamb who was slain. Let's remain seated. You can hum along, sing along quietly, but let's look at the words and respond to God's great redemption for us. <laughs> 